Welcome to the addendum, a thing added. On this podcast, Pastor Eric Williams will add to, clarify, and supplement the most recent teachings at Fellowship Renewed Church. Well, it's another Monday, and that means another episode of the addendum. Thanks so much for being here with me today. I've really enjoyed doing these and having this time with you. It's a good time for, uh, as many of you have said, to reflect and kind of digest uh, all that we've been going over on Sundays. You know, it's also been very helpful for me as well. I've enjoyed this time and uh, just being able to to take these and see things from a different angle. And it's really enjoyable. It's really helpful. And I, I hope, I hope that it's been helpful for you as well. Today, we're going to look at uh, two specific things. Uh, number one, we want to look at a little bit more about the free grace theology concept that we talked about yesterday. I want to uh, read another quote for you and and just kind of press into that just just a little bit. And then the second thing I want to look at, so just a little bit of scripture uh, to reinforce uh, really just the big idea of all that we're talking about. So first off, we talked about free grace theology yesterday, free grace theology and antinomianism. These two things uh, really go together, don't they? Antinomianism, uh, the definition we gave yesterday is there is no moral law for the Christian to obey, or there are no moral laws the Christian must obey. Okay, that's antinomianism. There is no law. And why were we talking about that? Well, because the Corinthians had a little saying, which was, all things are lawful for me. There is no law that restrains me. There is no law that tells me there's anything I cannot do or anything I must do, actually. It it works both ways, doesn't it? And so they had this little saying, and over time, there are different theological branches, if we want to call them that, that uh, also subscribe to this same mentality, ultimately because they didn't hear the words of Paul. They didn't understand what Paul was saying. They didn't hear that what Paul was saying was directly opposed to uh, these particular positions. So antinomianism, uh, there is no law uh, the Christian must obey. Uh, of course, this is not good. This is a bad theology, as as you know. Um, another... Um, Another view or take on this, it's really the same concept, but it's just coming at it from a slightly different perspective, and that is free grace theology. And the definition we gave to that yesterday was salvation is secured once a person believes in Jesus. Discipleship is not necessary. Now, it's good. It's, a, it's ideal, but it's not necessary. So how do we understand that? And is, what was Paul speaking to that reality yesterday? That's what we want to know. So another quote for you here today, uh, just to help us think about this a little bit more. This is from gracetheology.org, proponents of free grace theology. What do they have to say? They say, if eternal life is a free gift from God, then it should be obvious that we don't have to be good to go to heaven. And as far as we can tell, all other theologies say we have to be good to get into the pearly gates. 
end quote. So what are they saying exactly? Eternal life is a free gift from God. And it should be obvious at that point that we don't have to be good to go to heaven. Well, yes, in a sense, that's correct. But what a weird way to think about this idea. Um, So they would go on to say in this article they have published on their their website here uh, that the Reformation, what they would call the two pillars of the Reformation, Luther and Calvin, who... uh, who were proponents, yes, of how Augustine understood things. That's true. But anyway, they go into this idea about how there are branches of theology. Uh, But the point being that it's a misunderstanding of Scripture itself and the very thing that Paul was talking against. And while they say that those who follow the Reformation ideals are twisting things, yeah. See, we talked about this. Um, I can't remember if it was last week, week before, we talked about this, that if you are a teacher of the word of God, then someone somewhere is going to say that you're twisting things. And that's just how, that's just the lingo. That's just, (laughs) that's just what people say, no matter what, you're a twister of words, right? And so it's the same thing here because we would not say, we would absolutely not say that someone must be good uh, to have salvation, that goes against what the gospel even says. Uh, certainly, no one must be good it, because it's an impossibility. No one is good. No, not one is good. Uh, so we needed Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, the perfect one, to then be a substitute on our behalf. Okay, so we we understand that. So then, what's being said? If eternal life is a free gift from God then we don't have to be good. What they're saying is if, if eternal life is a free gift from God, we don't have to earn it. And again, we would agree with that. But they go on to say, as far as we can tell, all of the theologies say that we have to be good to get in the pearly gates. And that's just not true. That's that's incorrect. Um, now, many do. Um, uh, I, would, I would say that uh, Catholic theology uh, certainly speaks to that. Uh, I would say that the Church of Christ theology uh, would say that. I would say that Mormon theology says that. Uh, yes, I would say that there are theologies that say that, but in general, that's not what that's not what's being uh, suggested here. It's saying that there are other, <clears throat> excuse me, there are other uh, theologies that would call themselves evangelical who are saying these things, but it's just not true. It's a misunderstanding. It's completely a misunderstanding, and unfortunately, their misunderstanding has led them into a theology that doesn't work. And uh, even saying those words, let me let me read for you. Let me read for you. James 1, verses 19 through 27. All right, listen to what it says. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Okay, so I'm stopping right there at verse 21 because he's saying this is what is able to give you salvation. Okay, receiving 
with meekness, the implanted word. Okay. All right. And then verse 22 then says, be doers of the word, that word, the implanted word, and not hearers of it only. Okay. If that is the case, you deceive yourself. Verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, that person's or this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So, th- this is it. People have talked about this un, uh, unsettling contrast between Paul and James that Paul seems to say salvation is by uh, by grace through faith alone. And then James seems to say that, no, uh, it's not by faith alone. It's by works. What What is this unhealthy balance? Well, it seems as though those in the free grace theology side of things, they want to take the faith alone part and completely reject that works have anything to do with the faith part. They don't understand how the two work together. There's faith and there's works, and they're together rather than faith plus works. That that's very that's very different. See, our faith feeds our works. If it is true faith, then it evidences itself in works rather than saying, "Okay, I have faith in salvation. Now I also have to do works to sustain that salvation." And that's incorrect. That's an incorrect way of viewing that. We have faith. If that faith is genuine, that faith will result in works. Otherwise, what do you do with all the imperatives given in Scripture? What we must be doing. Why must we be doing it? Why must we do anything? Why do we need to be doers of the word and not hearers only? If it is the case that we are a hearer of the word only and we're not a doer of the word, what does James say? You deceive yourself. Why? Why do you just deceive yourself? Because you think you have something when you don't actually have it. You've deceived yourself. You think that it's it's about something that you don't have to do anything with. And that's wrong. That's absolutely fundamentally wrong. We have a faith that we must be doing something with our faith. It must be transforming us if it is genuine faith. If we have genuine faith, we must be transformed. Transformed how? And so let's let's just go back to our passage a little bit from, from Sunday. The Corinthians were saying, All things are lawful for me, but then Paul's objection is, But not all things are helpful. And then he quotes them again. All things are lawful for me, the Corinthians say. But Paul says, but I will not be dominated by anything. And then the Corinthians say, food is meant for the stomach, the stomach for food. God will destroy both one and the other. And then Paul says, but the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. God raised the Lord. He will raise us up also by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? 
Shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. And again, right, an extremely relevant point for them. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So we belong to the Lord. And this has implications, doesn't it? If you have faith in Christ, if you belong to the Lord, then you then are members of his body. And members of Christ's body look a particular way. They don't look like, I mean, up. What immediately just came to mind for me is possibly a little strange, but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with it. Just, just imagine that Jesus has a body, and his body is made up of parts of a dog. What a, what a weird idea. Those parts don't belong to that body. Quite obviously, it belongs to a different being altogether. But if you can get that strange imagery that I just created in everyone's mind, that we need to be properly representative of what the body of Christ should be looking like. If we truly belong to the body of Christ, individually members of it, then we should be looking like the body of Christ. And if we don't look like the body of Christ, it is very apparent then that we do not belong to that body. But as it is written in the scriptures, and this is why we have our imperatives, is that we are being brought along into conformity to Christ. So we have an image of of who Christ is, of who God is, and this is what we are to model ourselves after. We know because of we have the word of God to show us this is what you're to be looking like. This is what you're to be living like. This is how you're to be thinking. This is how your heart is to be feeling. This is how your affections should be going out from you. These are the things you should desire. These are the things you should like. These are the things you should hate. These are the things that you should touch. These are the things that you should not touch. These are the things you should do with your body. These are the things you should not do with your body. So, if you belong to Christ, you should be looking like Christ. And we have the scriptures to point us down that road. And we have the spirit of God living inside of us to enable us to actually be able to do that task. Right? So we have imperatives for a reason. We don't have imperatives um, to help us earn our salvation or sustain our salvation incorrect. That's not the way we think of it. But we have these imperatives in Scripture to conform us to Christ, to mature in Christ, to be more looking like Christ in his body. Why? Because we have been joined to the Lord. And so we are to be representatives of him. And this is what he intends for us. And this is the end that we're all striving for together. Thank you for joining us on the Addendum Podcast. For more information about Fellowship Renewed Church, visit frcsparta.com. Please join us for next week's episode.